0: And turn this evening to Second Peter chapter number 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, uh, I appreciate the young folks singing and the truth of that song. Uh, we start thinking about the Lord and what He's done for us, it's going to do something in our hearts, and uh, usually it will cause us to start thanking Him for His goodness and for Uh, The many things that he's done and uh, I don't want to be guilty of not thinking about the Lord and so uh, I hope our hearts are uh, tuned into him this evening, our minds are fixed on him and I just had a thought on my heart that uh, really kind of hit me late in the day today and uh, I've Got a lot of fallback messages, I guess, a lot of different things that I could run back to that I've preached before, and I uh, haven't preached this, but uh, just what was on my heart. So, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, and uh, we'll just start reading in verse 1, read the first 11 verses here. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us, That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's have another word of prayer if you'll pray with us. Father, thank you again for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for your many blessings upon us. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for the church here. We ask your blessing upon us as we've met together tonight. We ask you to bless your word to bless our uh, teachers as they instruct our young people. I pray you'll give us all ears to hear uh, what your spirit would say to us. Help us now. We'll thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to primarily be taking the thought tonight from verse number 5 through verse number 7 and uh, just... I want to give you, if I could title it, it would just be a word against complacency. A word against complacency. Now, Christianity, as we know, has a lot of highs and a lot of lows in it. And spiritually speaking, we have some very high places. I'm glad we do. And sometimes it gets so high in our hearts and in our spirits that we... I really do agree with many preachers who say if it gets much better, we're going to have to have a glorified body to enjoy it, and uh, thankfully the Lord has let us sense some of that in our own lives, and I'm grateful for His presence, grateful for the high spiritual places He brings us. There's low places too, don't really focus on those, Uh, but we do have our valleys, and we have our times of testing and times when uh, maybe the Lord is withholding his manifest presence, or some of his graces that we need. And he does it for a reason. He does it to draw us closer to him, to work patience in our heart. And uh, spiritually, we understand this. But also, just on a very practical level, a lot of times we go from uh, high spot to high spot. And we've, we've just come off of one of those high places for us as a church Um uh, the meeting that the Lord blesses us with. Uh, it's a its a taxing time, but a very high, high point in the year for us. And I know a lot of times we start thinking ahead to uh, what the next high spot is going to be. And then uh, uh, sometimes we don't get to that quite that quickly. We start thinking about the lull where we get to rest a little bit. Uh, but uh, we do have times where experientially... Uh, we can go from busyness to idleness to busyness to idleness, real highs and lows uh, in our walk with the Lord. And uh, I thought about this today and how that the Lord really never gives us a license for complacency. And uh, I know sometimes we get through things, we get through all the uh, the work that's going on, the preparation for certain things like the meeting or trip to camp or different things, and It's almost like we internally, whether we would say it or not, we feel like we can exhale and take a little break and just coast for a little while, but really God's Word never permits that. It never gives us any encouragement to slow down in our walk, and it certainly gives no license for a complacency. In fact, Two times in our text, we'll read a word that Peter uses. He uses it three times in Second Peter. And it, it really is one of the strongest words in the English language that is uh, an opposite of the word complacent. And it is the word diligent. And Peter uses it right here in verse number 5. Beside this giving all diligence, he said. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and he goes on. And then also in verse number 10, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. And then as he closes out the epistle, he comes towards the end in chapter 3 and verse 14. And he says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot, and blameless, diligence. This is a word against complacency. And uh, may the Lord help us to have a diligent spirit and a diligent heart before Him. Uh, the word that we find first in Second Peter 1, 5, it, it bears with it the idea of, of using speed or of having eagerness and earnestness before the Lord. And, and essentially what He is saying is make haste. Make haste to grow in the Lord. Make haste to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and so on. And then Second Peter 1 and verse 10, it's a different word, very similar, when he says give diligence to make your calling and election sure. It means to make haste and it means to be prompt. It means not to be late. Don't be late to the party when it comes to examining your heart and making sure that you are in the faith that you are indeed saved and it deals with putting forth exertion and putting forth effort and I don't want to get ahead of myself here but if there was ever an area that we should make haste and we should exert our energies and our hearts and our minds into it is in the area of our eternal destination for our soul Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Make sure that you have a real interest and real saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And again, it says be prompt. Don't be late. If you're late about that, then friend, that means you've stepped out into eternity without God or perhaps not knowing the Lord. And so for all of us today, uh, let's give diligence. Make sure that we're saved. Don't get complacent. Concerning your soul, men have been deceived and you and I are not above being deceived ourselves. And so Peter uses the word, give diligence, make sure that you're ready to meet the Lord. And then Second uh, Peter 3.14 uses the same word as he does in uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. And it deals with our, our sanctification. It deals with our separation and our making ready for the coming of the Lord. He's already said that we were to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Verse 13 of chapter 3, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And then verse 14, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things... Seeing that you're looking for the Lord to return at any moment. Seeing that you're looking for Christ to come back. He said this, he said, give diligence and make sure that you're found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And in another portion it speaks of those who would be ashamed at his coming. And so Peter is saying, don't let that be you. Give diligence to make sure if today were the day that you are ready for the Lord to return. And he he speaks of salvation. He speaks of our spiritual growth. And he speaks of our sanctification or our separation. He uses the word diligence. Do not get complacent in these areas. I thought about the idea of complacency and how really it uh, will lead to uh, spiritual stagnation, if that's a word. I'm a preacher, I get to make up words every now and again. But if we're not complacent or if we're not diligent about spiritual things, we will become stagnant. And uh, God's work in our hearts is his people. It's not, like a, it's not like a pond that gets dug out in the middle of the road. I see some of them as we're traveling up and down Highway 4 here. One of them's just been recently dug out. It doesn't have anything feeding It doesn't have anything coming from it. All it can hope to do is gather rainwater and run off from the road and stay full. That way it's stagnant water is all it's ever going to be. There's ponds in the middle of fields and they don't have a source coming unto them. And uh, then they don't have any uh, outlet where the water can go away. But man, the best uh, lakes and the best ponds that they are are the ones that are really just a body in the middle of a flow to and a flow from. Our spiritual life's no different than that. We have to have God and His infusion of life into our hearts. And then we may fill up. But if we fill up, there has to be a place, an outlet for us to go and to serve. And so God puts in us that we may put out uh, spiritual life and service unto our Lord. But complacency will lend itself to a puddle that's fit for nothing but mosquitoes to breed in. It'll make us stagnant in our life. Complacency, it's like a, a neglected fire. And uh, I don't heat with, with wood in the house, but uh, I'm familiar with how fires work. I love to camp. And uh, I like getting up in the morning and hopefully I don't have to work too hard to get the fire started again. It's usually cool in the mornings. And, and a lot of times though, if you didn't feed something late enough, you didn't feed the fire, put enough uh, backlogs on it to make it through the night, you'll get up and the thing will be completely out in the morning. And that's us spiritually. Complacency will make us like that fire that's been neglected. It's had all the air shut off from it. And uh, it makes us where their only hope is that something stirs us up, amen, and knocks the ashes off and puts a little air to us. And uh, so Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift of God that is within thee. He told him, don't neglect the gift of God that's been given unto you. The word stir up, it is, it is a fire word. It literally means to reenkindle. And isn't it true in our experience as God's people, we can go from the highest of high spiritually to less than a week later. We're already just kind of down and tired and exhausted and wore out. The eagerness and anticipation that we had just a week ago to come into God's house and have our spirits fed and sing with all of our hearts all of a sudden is turned into some of the same old weariness that we felt in days gone by. It happens just like that. We're not going to get in a meeting or have a service or be revived one time and that be enough to carry us all the way through from now until eternity. We're going to have to continue in diligence, seeking the Lord, entering into His presence, entering into our prayer closets and calling out upon Him for His help and His mercy. In our text here, we find that God's people are a people of growth. We grow. Now think about humanly speaking as people grow. We've got some real little ones in here. And you know... Uh, I just saw Natalie was uh, crawling around just a little bit. She's finally starting to move around just a little bit. Ain't it funny? Parents carry them around all the time, and they think, man, I can't wait till this youngin' starts walking, and then they start walking, and they think, man, I can't keep up with it. But thats it's a natural progression, isn't it? We see it in them. And if that child doesn't start speaking at some point and doesn't start walking and then running around and And if they're not doing some of those things we are accustomed to seeing out of a child, there's only one reason for it. They don't have any life in them. And the reason some individuals never grow spiritually is because they've never been born again. They have no life in them. But God has no stillborns. God has none that die in infancy And when God saves a sinner, when God saved you and when He saved me, He did it to cause us to grow and to make us more like Him each and every day. And our passage is a passage really as well as any other place I know of in the Scripture that lays out the progression of God's people and how we grow. We're people of growth. I would encourage you to take advantage of this season that God's blessed us with. Don't sit back and say, man, I'm glad I got that over with. Those two a days and five messages a day has just about wore me out. Well, it will wear you out physically. But man, when God does something for us and spiritually blesses us and revives our hearts, those are the times to really just dig your heels in and go a little further with the Lord. Be diligent. In the area of growing. I assure you from experience that it is a whole lot easier right now in these times when God seems to be blessing us with his presence. It is a whole lot easier to dive deeper into the word and pray right now than it is in the cold times. Amen. Be careful to take advantage of the season that God's given unto us as his people. Notice with me here, we'll get right back to our scripture and I'll, I'll hasten through this and not keep you too long tonight. He said, beside this, in verse 5, giving all diligence. Here we go. No place for complacency. No room for complacency. A word Peter gives us against complacency in our spiritual life. He said, here's what you are to do. Give all diligence to add to your faith. Now we could stop right there and say, well, faith is the beginning. Faith is how I first met God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Peter starts at the first rung on the ladder and he says, If you are saved, and in fact, he's already told us that uh, we are the same partakers partakers of the same divine nature that they are. We've obtained like precious faith. He said in verse number 1, we've been given exceeding great and precious promises. So so the assumption is that he is speaking to save people. His word is to those who have believed upon the Lord. He said, every one of you have faith. Every one of you as the people of God. You've started off in the same place. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is where we started out at. We all started believing. God doesn't say just believe and go to heaven one day. He says believe and then grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is first. For without faith it is impossible to please God. So provided that we have believed upon the Lord, he says, add to your faith. Don't just stop right there, but continue to grow in grace. Add to your faith virtue. This word virtue is an interesting word. It means manliness. It means valor. Now, I think I know what manliness means. You guys don't need to comment on that. I'm pretty sure I know what it means, and at least I get an idea in my head of what it means. And and a valor, though, it's, it's a word we don't use a whole lot. In fact, the only, really the only time I think about the word valor is when you think about somebody who pretends themselves to be something that they're not. We have several uh, military men in here, and uh, when a person pretends that they were in the military or, or even uh, embellishes their record and says that they were this or that while they were in the military, do you know what they're guilty of? They're guilty of stolen valor. It's the only time I ever think about that word. But uh, defining it, it literally means strength of mind. Add to your faith strength of mind. It is the enabling strength that grace gives us that allows us to be firm in the face of trouble. It's courage, literally, by definition. I thought of this and why Peter would... Well, the Lord, of course, told him to write this, but why he would use this word first. And I think about the early Christians and the early church and how really, right after faith, the thing that they probably needed the most was valor, was virtue, manliness. We face little trouble in our day, but I want you to think about the people that Peter was writing to. The very fact that these individuals would profess faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God would put a target upon their back. To go beyond a public profession or just a profession and make it public by following the Lord and believers' baptism would lend itself to you being cut off from society would lend itself to you losing all of your previous religious standing. Peter often only wrote to the Jews, and so that is the case right here in this general epistle. And he is telling them, this is what you need after you believe. You need God to strengthen your heart and give you firmness and give you resolve that come what may, you are going to go with the Lord Jesus. They would face persecution. Thankfully, that's not something that we've known a whole lot of. But this was the first thing that they needed as Peter saw it. Virtue. Manliness. I wasn't here Sunday, but uh, did I understand that uh, uh, Brother Brandon led in the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? Is that right? All right. You know what that song is? It literally is a written song. It's written poetry that speaks of valor. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me. Virtue rises up, added to my faith, and it says, I am going, I am following on, come what may in our life. Thayer said it is a virtuous course of thought, feeling, and action. And uh, it is moral excellence as modesty and purity. Lord, let me have resolve in my heart to follow you no matter where you will lead me and where your paths will take me. Add to your faith virtue. Then add to that virtue knowledge. And this bears with it the idea of a deeper, more perfect, and enlarged knowledge of God. Growing in knowledge. Growing in doctrine. Growing in our understanding of our most holy faith, the common faith once delivered unto the saints. Understanding what we believe and why we believe it. And uh, one man said, this deals especially with things that are lawful and unlawful for Christians. Lord, teach us what we can do and what we can't, what we should do and what we shouldn't. Give us knowledge. And then add to your knowledge, temperance. This word temperance is only found four times in the Bible. The first time it is used is when Paul is... uh, witnessing to Felix and Drusilla, and he reasoned with them about uh, temperance, judgment, sin, and uh, it's found right there in Acts 23, and then the second time it's found is in Galatians 5. It is a fruit of the Spirit. This is something we should be producing in our life by the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, again, we are not stagnant as the people of God. God flows into us fills us and there is an outflow. We grow, we move forward for the glory of God. And uh, here in verse 6, it's found the other two times, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience. And of course, the idea behind this, Brother Brandon's been dealing with it some with spiritual gifts. It is self-control. And uh, it is the mastery of desires and passions. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? (laughs) If there's anything that will bring us discouragement and defeat, it is the recognition that there are still desires and passions that we have that we wish weren't there, that shouldn't be there. If we think about what a Christian is, we look and we think, well, they shouldn't have thoughts like what I think sometimes and feelings like what I feel sometimes. But this idea of temperance is God in His grace and by His Spirit working in us to master our desires and our passions. Self-control. It deals especially with the sensual appetites or the fleshly appetites, whatever they may be. For some people, their biggest problem is lust. For other people, their biggest problem is their mouth. Amen. Feeling like they have to say and have to voice and say what is on their mind. We all have our issues. But oh, we should be growing a little further away from what we used to be. You say, oh, it's just faults that we all have, preacher. Well, we should repent of those faults and pray that God would help us not to give in to our sensual appetites. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, self-control, and to temperance patience. Patience. Patience is an interesting word as well. Now, a lot of times we think of patience and we uh, have to quickly acknowledge that we don't have a whole lot of it. And I find this to be true. Most people want everybody to be patient with them, but they're not real good at being patient with other people. Is that true of you? I'm probably the only one like that here. The word patience, it, it bears the idea of a cheerful endurance, or hopeful endurance. It's staying the course. It's much akin to the first word we looked at, virtue. It is maintaining your hope in the Lord, keeping your eyes fixed upon Him, waiting through hard times, waiting through good times, trusting Him that He will bring to pass His plans and purposes in your life. It deals with constancy, And one man defined it as loyalty. It is a loyal spirit and an unwavering spirit even in the greatest trials and sufferings that we face. And so James said, you have heard of the patience of Job. He uses him as an illustration of patience and shows us that God has an end for his people and that we should wait upon him. Unwavering. Faith and unwavering loyalty, even through our trials and our sufferings. Do you have this kind of patience? Well, some of us struggle with it, don't we? That's okay. You may still be in the first stage of this. You may have just believed recently. You may still be a babe in the Lord Jesus. Well, I had virtue, I had boldness to stand up for the Lord and to be firm with Him. Maybe you've got that and you've you've faced some hard times. You've faced some difficulties with the Lord and uh, for His sake. And and, uh, maybe now you need to just start growing in knowledge and understanding. We're all at different places, but here is a progression. Peter is saying, don't be complacent. Give diligence. Grow in this area and on to this one and on to this one and on to this one. And so he says, then, add to your patience godliness. Of course, this is piety towards God. It's found 15 times in the New Testament. One of those times it is translated holiness. Phew. Seems the further I'm going in this list, the harder I'm finding these things uh, to attain. Strong said it is specifically the gospel scheme. I was confused by that. I'm just going to be honest. It's bad when you look up a definition to a word and the definition throws you off a little bit. And I just began to think and then I looked up the word scheme to just kind of figure out where this guy's coming from in his definition. And the idea is a plan or that which stacks upon another, one leading to another. And I thought, okay, I understand. Godliness is the gospel scheme. Heaven is not the end goal that God has for us as His people. He is bringing us to what? Conformity to the image of His Son having predestinated us. He said this was God's intention to produce in us a clone of His Son. Is so pleased with His Son that He wants every one of us that have believed upon Him to look much like Him. Now, we're a long way from this, aren't we? Jesus is high and holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. Even his very enemies would have to look at him and say, I find no fault in this man. Now, we got a ways to go, don't we? But I'm going to tell you this. I'm having a time of my life trying to be more and more like the Lord. And the more that God makes me like His Son, I know I'm a long way from it. You are too. We're not boasting in any way of anything. But the more things that I see where God has changed me from what I used to be more into the image of His Son fashioned after the Word of God, man, it brings joy to my heart. And it makes me say I don't want to be complacent and lose the ground that we've gained spirits. I want to keep going forward want to give diligence to add. I don't want my lack of diligence to cause a subtraction. Amen. He saved us to make us godly and saved us to make us holy. Amen. Saved us to make us like him. We're not going to attain unto that perfectly until we see him. But when we see his face, He's going to make us like Him. We'll see Him just as He is, and He'll change our vile bodies and fashion it like unto His glorious body. Amen. The good thing about godliness is this. While it may seem very far away from us, He's given us everything that we need to achieve it. Peter said it in verse 3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and what? Godliness. Godliness. God's provided us with everything we need that we would be more like Him. He's given us His Word. We have the completed Word of God in our day and time. We have it. He has put in our hearts His own Spirit to convict us and to reprove us and to encourage us along and provoke us. He's given us the church. Thank God for it. And uh, we can look at one another. Don't look too hard. Don't look through the eyes of scrutiny. Let's just keep the rose-colored lenses when we look at one another. Amen. But he's given us each other to help. He's given us the church to lead us on to a closer walk with him. Godliness. Godliness. He said, I add to godliness brotherly kindness. This is, uh, comes from the word, one of the words for love, the word Philadelphia, phileos, Philadelphia, phileo. It deals with brotherly love. Add to your patience godliness to your godliness brotherly love. In the New Testament, this is the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. You say, I have a hard time with people. Well, maybe you're still back in step three of the process here. Maybe you need to go on a little further for the Lord. Now, I know we have our moments. Amen. Amen. And some people are more likable than others and all of us are more likable at some moments than we are at others. I'm going to tell you something. What God's blessed us with as the family of God we ought to never take for granted. Cherish the brethren. Cherish the love that we have one for another. It is the love which Christians cherish for each other as brethren. Paul told the church at Rome to let your love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Let your love for each other be without hypocrisy. Without dissimulation. Is that where you're at today? Do we ever smile at each other and actually mean it? Man, I wish Vincent was here. I'd throw some barbs his way on that one. Amen. But... Uh, Do you not cherish the people of God? No, you ought to. We ought to love the people of God as much as we love our blood kin. And in a lot of cases, God's people have testified that they are closer to the body of Christ that God has made them a part of in the church than they are their own family. Amen. Amen. You've heard me preach more than my mother's heard me preach. Amen closer to you than I am my own relatives and I cherish you I really do thank God for you and uh, let's add this in let it be without dissimulation in another place we are told to have a fervent love one for another Unfeigned love of the brethren, not put on, but real, genuine love for the people of God. Oh, that God would add more and more of this to us. That'll keep a church together through difficult times and through uh, dissenting opinions. Amen. More love, more brotherly kindness, fervent love. And then add to your brotherly kindness, he said, charity. And uh, this is our word, agape. We've been hearing a lot about this on Wednesday nights. And uh, whereas the, the word for brotherly kindness, Philadelphia, or brotherly love is, really bears with it more the idea of affection. This is the affection that we have. This is the feelings that we have one towards another. We cherish it. Charity is a totally different word. And whereas one deals with affection, charity just point blank deals with action one towards another. All right, you've got the brotherly love thing now. Man, you feel love in your heart towards the people of God. You're like the songwriter uh, who said, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And said, you'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a part of a family so dear. Oh, you just feel so romantically inclined towards the brethren. You love them. You feel love towards them. Maybe romantic wasn't the right word right there. You love. You feel love. But feeling love is a very small thing if the feelings have no follow-up. Affection is a small thing without action. I can tell my wife I love her till I'm blue in the face, but I'm going to tell you what, we're not going to make it to 25 years if I don't show her. We're working on it. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Put up with me a long time. And she never had it so good. Amen. I've just seen if he's with me. Action, action, charity, agape. It's an action word, isn't it? Do you understand that you can show forth the love of God without ever feeling anything towards somebody? That's a progression. You say, it doesn't sound like a progression to me. It sounds like cold-hearted religion. No, no, not at all. That's a progression. Because Philadelphia love says, I'm going to love the people that I feel like loving. I'll do good to the people that I feel good towards. But charity, charity has nothing to do with feeling at all. This is the kind of love that we're supposed to have one towards another. That means you love when you don't feel like it. That means you show love towards somebody that maybe you don't feel a whole lot of love towards. This is where he closes out this list. 1 Corinthians 13 is that great chapter on charity. I'm going to read it to you. God says it better than I do. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Wait a minute. What if I got virtue? You better keep on adding to it. What if I got knowledge? You better keep on adding to it. We're trying to get all the way through. We're trying to grow. We can't be complacent. No room for complacency, you see. If I have not charity, I'm a sounding brass, tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and here's our word, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Here's our action word. God defines it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. That's action. Believeth all things. That's action. Hopeth all things. That's Action endureth all things. Charity never faileth. It's an action word. And while Philadelphia love for the brethren can be a love without dissimulation or hypocrisy, and it can be unfeigned love, agape love, charity towards the brethren, this kind of love is the kind of love that weeps with them that weep. It rejoices with them that rejoice. It bears the burdens of others. It causes us to pray without ceasing when we know that we have a brother in need or a sister in need. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know that I perfectly have any one of these things in this list. Matter of fact, I don't even want to stand on the first rung and start tooting my horn and say, oh, I believe so much. I've got faith. I just need to climb a little higher. Sometimes my faith isn't even so good. Brother and sister, until we have all of these things added, one on top of another and on top of another, there is no room for complacency. Stay diligent. Continue to press in further with our Lord. Seek his face more fervently. Now let me just close with this. It is a blessing like with so many other, the promises of God and and the commands of the Lord. Many of them are are given and they they just go ahead and tell us this is what the end result is going to be if you do this or if you don't do this. And this passage is no different. You say, if I give diligence, if I don't just be complacent, What will the return on my investment be? Seems like people worry about that a whole lot. Well, verse 8. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said he would count all of his virtue, all of his works, everything that he had as loss. That what? That he might know Christ fellowship of his sufferings, the power of his resurrection, that he might know him more because Jesus was the treasure of his soul. And friend, to know him more intimately should be all of our desire. We sing about it all the time. As the deer panteth after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God. And I know when we enter into His presence, it has the, the divine outcome of working in us an even deeper hungering and a deeper thirsting after Him. We see others that enter in, maybe we think they got a little further than we did in their worship with the Lord, and we think, oh, I'd like to sense and feel and enjoy what they're sensing and enjoy." And friend, we all want to know the Lord better. And God works such a holy desire and thirst in us that we're not satisfied. Not satisfied. I don't want to be barren in my knowledge of the Lord. I don't want to be unfruitful in my knowledge of the Lord. Not something up here deep in my heart. I want to know Him better and I want to know Him more more of His presence, more of His saving fullness, see, more of His love who died for me. I want to know Him better and more. So He tells us, if these things be in you and abound, they make you. That you're not going to be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This diligence lends itself to a man or a woman who will never fall. That's what he said. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. He said, for if you do these things. What's he talking about? He's talking about all that he's already said. If you had to, you had to, you had to. He said, you shall never fall. Verse 11, where we stopped reading, it sounds pretty glorious to me. What is the return on this investment? What comes my way if I don't give myself to Spiritual complacency. (laughs) For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Man, that sounds good to me. That's the return. To be complacent, though, brother and sister, there's a return on that as well. It's right here in our text. Verse 9. Verse 8 said, if these things be in you and abound. But verse 9 said, he that lacketh these things is blind. Cannot see afar off. Notice this, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I don't think I'm off base at all to say complacency will steal your assurance from you. Complacency causes eyes that were once enlightened to be darkened. causes us to not see things like we ought to see them. Amen. None of these things in verse number 9 seem quite as good as what's in verse 8, 10, and 11, do they? Let me just read this to you one more time. Beside this, that is, beside being saved. Beside this, giving all diligence, not complacency, but diligence. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. May the Lord help us by His grace to... Number one, remember and never forget that we have not attained. We've not arrived yet. So there's no room for complacency. To remember that we're not through with our journey of faith. Saved by grace through faith, but we're still walking. The songwriter said, still marching to Zion. We're not done yet. No room for complacency. Add to, add to, add to grow grace uh, closer to the Lord in all of His graces, and to seek Him further that we might know Him better. Amen. Well, I called it a word against complacency. Is a whole lot of words. Let's be diligent as Peter encourages. Diligent concerning our salvation. Make sure that you know the Lord. Diligent concerning our spiritual growth. Let's carry on further, further, child of God, further and diligent concerning our separating ourselves. Let's make ready the bridegroom's coming. Make ourselves as ready as we can that we'll not be ashamed of him that is coming. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it teaches us. and Lord, even your rebukes towards us as your people can be so gentle and we thank you for it we ask you to just help us as your people to grow. Lord, help us to, uh, to enjoy and to bask in your presence and goodness to us. Uh, but Lord, help us not to, uh, to grow content and complacent with where we are. I pray you make us all more like you. Help us to walk uh, in the light of your word and in the guidance of your spirit. We ask you to bless the church, strengthen us, Lord, help us together, continue to work in hearts. We pray you would reach your hand to our loved ones that are lost and deal with them in mercy. And we pray that you would continue to bless us with your presence. We do love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for how again and again you demonstrate your love to our hearts. We thank you for what you're doing in these days. Just help us to be a part of it.